To listen to ad-free episodes and premium bonus content, visit sinspod.co slash apple to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app on your mobile device. Hey, listeners, we want to hear from you. Head over to our fan list page and send us your questions, leave us voicemail, or subscribe to ad-free and exclusive bonus content. Visit fanlist.com slash sinsandsurvivors to connect with us today. The following episode discusses topics related to domestic violence, including detailed accounts and descriptions that some listeners might find distressing or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Sometimes we all can casually throw around the word stalking or stalker. Maybe when somebody double clicks on a few too many pictures of your old Instagram photos, or when your best friend is dating someone so you check out their social media profiles, or maybe you bump into an acquaintance twice in one week on the street and joke that you're stalking them, or you say, oh, are you stalking me? But stalking isn't anything to be casual about, and it can turn deadly. According to Spark, the Stalking Prevention Awareness and Resource Center, one in three women and one in six men will experience stalking at some point in their lives. One in seven transgender and non-binary genderqueer undergraduate students were stalked in the past year. On average, stalking lasts about two years, but in one in 10 of the cases, it lasts up to five years. And approximately 13.5 million people are stalked each year. The prevalence of stalking is terrifying, but it's even more terrifying when you consider the effects it has on the victims. 84% of victims fear for their safety, 72% of victims are threatened with physical harm, and women who obtained a protection order for stalking are nine times more likely to be sexually assaulted than women with protection orders who were not stalked. 76% of domestic violence homicide victims were first stalked by their partner. One in eight employed stalking victims lose time from work as a result of their victimization, and more than half lose five days of work or more. And one in seven stalking victims are forced to move because of their victimization. January is National Stalking Awareness Month, and today, January 18th, 2024, is the first ever National Stalking Day of Action. Today, we want to share the stories of Peggy Klinky and Miley Cyrus, yes, that Miley Cyrus, and shine a light on the impact of stalking. Hi, and welcome to Sins and Survivors, a Las Vegas true crime podcast where we focus on cases that deal with domestic violence. I'm your host, Sean, and with me, as always, is the one and only John. I am the only John in the room. It's National Stalking Awareness Month, and Tuesday's episode, episode 11, included the story of Jake Freeman, a Vegas Metro police officer who was arrested for stalking his ex-wife. Yep, and our January 23rd episode will also cover Deja's stalking story, which is probably one of the worst stalking stories I've ever heard. For the first ever National Stalking Day of Action, we decided it was important to highlight how dangerous stalking can be. We want to share with you the story of Peggy Klinky, who was murdered by her stalker on January 18th, 2003, 21 years ago today. Also here at Sins and Survivors, we focus on cases in and around Las Vegas, of course, and it turns out that there was a man who was stalking Miley Cyrus and who was arrested for that here in Las Vegas at one of her concerts in 2019, so we will talk about that as well. Our research into Miley revealed this wasn't the first time a man stalked Miley, 
And horrifyingly, it wasn't the last time either. During our lifetimes, there have been several examples of celebrity stalkers turning deadly. But before we get into that, let's start with Peggy. Sure thing. Peggy Clinky's sister, Debbie Riddle. Debbie is actually the founder of National Stalking Awareness Month. Debbie has stressed that it's important to listen and encourage victims and do not downplay their stories. And that's what we're going to do with this episode. Margaret Clinky, or Peggy, was born December 2nd, 1970 in Youngstown, Ohio. Debbie has said that in 1998, Peggy moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to start pursuing a medical degree. That's when Peggy met Patrick Kennedy. Debbie has explained that during the first winter break while Peggy was in school, she went home to Ohio to spend the holidays with her family. And Patrick, he surprises Peggy on New Year's Eve by showing up at Peggy and Debbie's mom's house, just shows up. And they have no idea how he even knew where Peggy's mom lived. So right away, Debbie gets a bad feeling about Patrick. She said that something seemed off about him. According to Debbie... Peggy and Patrick were together for about three years, and during that time, Peggy was in a cycle of emotional abuse with him, where he would insult her, violently degrade her, and then apologize, buy her flowers, take her out. Uh, Debbie has shared that once her family all went on vacation to the beach, and when Peggy arrived, Patrick had come with her and brought his eight-year-old daughter from a previous relationship and a gun to the beach. Yeah, for the record, I, I can't really think of a reason you'd need a gun at the beach, even remotely. Debbie has said that he was just so controlling of Peggy, he wouldn't let her spend any time alone with just her sisters. He had to be with her all the time. He really tried to isolate Peggy to separate her from her family, which, as we know, is another red flag for an abusive relationship. And during this time, Debbie said she saw her sister's sparkle fade, her spirit was broken, and her personality changed. Debbie has explained, quote, Peggy did try to leave him. She was in an airport in Albuquerque trying to get to Las Vegas where their other sister was on vacation. And Peggy spent the whole afternoon just puking in the airport because she was so frightened about what was going to happen to her if she broke off the relationship with Patrick. In January of 2002, Peggy tried to move out of the condo she shared with Patrick and she moved a lot of her stuff out. But when she came back for the rest of her things, he had barricaded the door and called the cops to say someone was trying to break into the house. And when the police showed up, he told them that he wanted Peggy to stay because he was afraid. It's not clear to me if he was afraid for Peggy, like someone might break in and hurt her, or if he meant that he was afraid to be alone in in the condo if someone was trying to break in. In any event, the police did not talk to Peggy without Patrick around, and they either didn't pick up on the dynamic or what I think is probably more likely, they ignored it or minimized it. I think they ignored it because they did ask Peggy if there was anything else she wanted to tell them, so they kind of knew something was off. But when Peggy didn't say anything, they just let it drop. So that's horrifying, of course, but based on the stalking cases we've covered and are covering next week, I'm not even sure that her telling the police what was going on would have made any difference whatsoever, or even if they would have believed her if she had explained what was going on. 
So after Peggy left Patrick, things really started escalating. He started following her around to work, to the gym, calling her incessantly. And when she filed for an order of protection in June of 2002, he showed up and filed one as well. He claimed that Peggy was an alcoholic and was using drugs and was abusive. He had the nerve to tell the court he was afraid for his life. The judge ended up ordering the two of them to just stay away from each other. He did some absolutely atrocious things, like he had a flyer printed up with Peggy's photo and phone number on it and posted it up around Albuquerque, places that Peggy would would visit frequently. And it said some disgusting, vulgar nonsense about her that I don't really think needs repeating. Uh, But Peggy tried to get the police to help. Like you said, she brought her phone records into the police station to show how often he was calling her and the flyers he made. And the cops said they couldn't do anything. Let me guess. Did they did they say they couldn't spot the pattern? In June, Patrick flew to Ohio and spray painted PK is a whore on Peggy and Debbie's mother's garage. And. He also set fire to Peggy's new boyfriend's house. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me how people like this don't get arrested for all the ancillary crimes that they end up committing as a part of their stalking, like breaking and entering and, uh, in this case, arson and vandalism, all that stuff. In August, Peggy moved away. She just picked up, completely moved her life to California, which, as we mentioned at the top of the show, one in seven people who are who are experiencing stalking are, are forced to do that. Peggy did everything she could to try to stay safe. She had an unlisted number, unlisted address. She got a new cell phone. Debbie and her mom and her other sister, they were careful not to reveal where Peggy was living. Uh, Peggy talked to her new neighbors in California and asked them to help keep her safe. She actually showed them Patrick's photo and like asked them to call the police if they ever saw him around. But Patrick, he wouldn't stop. He hired a private investigator to find Peggy and the PI was able to find her. So on January 16th, 2003, Patrick flew to California, went to Peggy's neighborhood, and then he posed as an investigator himself and began asking questions. And eventually a delivery driver told him which apartment was Peggy's. And on January 18th, Peggy was going to have coffee with her neighbor and Patrick was hiding in her garage. He attacked her. He beat her with his gun. He tried to tie her hands and duct tape her mouth, but she was able to run away to her neighbors and the neighbor called the police. Patrick broke into the neighbor's apartment by breaking through the sliding glass door. The police did arrive within five minutes, and there was a standoff for a short time, uh, but Patrick um, ended up shooting Peggy and killed her, and then he shot himself. Peggy was only 32 years old. Her sister, Debbie Riddle, became an advocate for stalking awareness and worked to have January declared National Stalking Awareness Month, and today's Day of Action commemorates the memory of Peggy. Now, Debbie's call to action is for all of us and that we should all sparkle today the way that Peggy did to give the sparkle back to stalking survivors. So today, January 18th, Debbie and the team at Spark is asking folks to take a photo of yourself with a sparkly background or wearing something sparkly or glitter or sequined and post it to social media with the hashtags 
Sparkle Against Stalking, NSAM Day of Action, NSAM 2024. And one more quick thing. Debbie also worked to have Peggy's Law created in California. So as of 2005, it is a misdemeanor for anyone targeted by domestic violence restraining orders to try and locate their victim by hiring a private investigator or using a friend or a relative or any other third party to locate that person. So if there's one thing that I've learned from being a part of this true crime community, it's that sisters in these cases, they always seem to be getting the shit done. Peggy's story is one where a former partner was obsessed with continuing to have control over their ex. And Patrick's intention was always to frighten and control Peggy. This is similar to the pattern of behavior we know about from Officer Jake Freeman from our last episode. But now we're going to transition into talking about another kind of stalking that I think gets covered a lot more in the media, celebrity stalking. Hi, it's Sean and John from Sins and Survivors. We think it's so important to bring you new podcast episodes centered on the victims of domestic violence, but we need your help. Head over to sinspod.co slash Patreon and join one of our membership tiers starting at only $3 a month with a discount if you purchase a full year. You get access to our behind the scenes swing shift episodes where we talk about the episode right after we record it and tell you more about our theories on the case going beyond what you just listened to. And you'll also get ad-free versions of all episodes, and we'll even send you members-only swag. You get all this, and you can feel good about yourself that you're helping defray the cost of producing the show every week. So head over to sinspod.co slash Patreon today. Yeah. So next up, we're going to talk about Miley Cyrus, who has had her share of stalker experiences. The... Psychology seems slightly different to me. Um, It seems less like um, it's about terrorizing someone and more about getting their attention and, you know, spending time with them, things like that. But we'll talk about the cases and you can decide for yourself. Although Miley has obviously never been physically hurt by one of her stalkers, thankfully, they are no less terrifying and no less dangerous. It's really fortunate that she has security around her to protect her from these people. Although we're all familiar with Miley, I'm sure, at least, you know, on the periphery, I'll mention a few key facts. She was born on November 23rd, 1992, after I graduated college, scary, to Tish and Billy Ray Cyrus, who had five children together. Just for your information, they were Brandy, Trace, Miley, Brayson, and Noah. They ended up divorcing in 2022 after 29 years of marriage. I'm sure you may know if you watch TMZ. And Miley has been in the spotlight her whole life, basically, starting with her run on Hannah Montana from 2006 to 2011, and she's had a very successful music career. She's an outspoken advocate for the LGBTQ community, and she started a foundation called the Happy Hippie Foundation. The foundation focuses on youth homelessness, specifically LGBTQ youth, and focuses on that community and more more generally, along with other vulnerable populations, which is kind of awesome that she's done that. Her first stalker experience occurred way back in 2009, right in the middle of her Hannah Montana years when she was around 16 or 17 years old. The stalker's name is Mark McLeod, 
And I hope you're sitting down because he was 53 years old when all of this went down. Gross. McLeod never made any threats toward Miley, per se, or toward her family, according to police. But again, that doesn't mean that, like most stalkers, he wasn't completely delusional, and there wasn't the potential for violence. There is always in stalking the potential for violence. One of the quotes from him, uh, and this is something he said to police officers, was, just to indicate how delusional he was, Our eyes met at a concert, and we both knew. I walked straight through security and up to her bus. Billy Ray was standing there. He shook my hand and he said, you're a good man and we've been praying for you. So he just imagined that that happened. Yes, he made that up from whole cloth. So that's great. Uh, And the concerning thing here is that uh, this is the least dangerous stalker that she has dealt with. He also claimed that Billy Ray knew about and approved of their relationship, and that Miley had been sending her secret messages through her show, uh, which again, as a reminder, was Hannah Montana, and this is a 53-year-old man saying this. He also claimed that he'd sent uh, Miley diamond rings and other gifts, and that she had accepted his marriage proposal, Mm. unbeknownst to her. He was eventually arrested during the filming of the movie The Last Song, which I haven't seen. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen it, Um, but I'm going to guess it wasn't made for me anyway, so probably I can pass on that one. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's delightful. Um, But local prosecutors resolved the case quickly when uh, they got a grand jury together and they declined to indict him on any felony charges. Instead, he pled guilty to obstruction of a police officer because he headbutted a cop when he was being handcuffed and disorderly conduct. And the stalking charge was actually dropped. His attorney was quoted as saying that he was pleased that this unemployed assistant plumber would finally get help for any mental problems, which I think is great. He absolutely needed help. He was quoted as saying, I guess he's just like an avid fan, and obviously there's some delusion going on, his lawyer speaking, and that's not against the law, he said. The evidence doesn't show that he ever had any intention of harming Cyrus or her family. And again, this was the least scary stalker she's dealt with. I think most people would agree that he was definitely not fully in touch with reality, but he did never threaten them, which is something. Um, But it's the age difference that kind of gets me here. And it's a bit of a pattern with her. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not a pattern with her. It's a pattern with her stalkers. And I'm sorry, but that's just gross. Um, I really do hope he got the help he obviously desperately needed. And next up, in my opinion, is the scariest stalker she's had. His name was David Rumsey, and this guy is uh, has some really interesting quotes that he came up with, so we're going to talk about all of it. He is the youngest of her stalkers at a, a youthful 42 years old when he was stalking her, and uh, he was actually the one that was detained in Las Vegas at the iHeartRadio Festival in 2019 when security recognized him and thankfully were able to detain him. He reportedly told her security team, and this is the quote they always talk about with this guy, that it was his life's mission to impregnate Miley. So alarming for everybody. He was booked into Clark County Detention Center Uh, where according to the CCDC website, he was charged with um, making false threats and burglary. He was extremely active on Twitter, as you are when you're a stalker, I suppose, in that time frame, and constantly talking about her and replying to her tweets and trying to get her attention. 
Um, and there are a few examples of his key moments on Twitter and uh, things he was quoted as saying. So we're going to talk about a couple of those. Uh, he has been quoted as saying uh, around the time of the iHeartRadio concert, been here since Thursday, hoping to meet up before uh, if you were in town early. Love you. Hope you give me some time. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, the next one is, just an FYI, I would have spent more time on concert, but I didn't want to be sitting next to someone trying to get with me. I myself don't want to be next to anyone but you. I do hope we can meet up, like I've been asking before the concert, to just talk about your music lyrics. He tweeted that out her before before the concert. And then after, uh, he came up with this this gem, Hoping not to be back at my room. I don't want you to have to go to a Motel 6. I wanted to stay in one of the hotels close to the stadium, and I'm banned from MGM Hotels from when you took my soul. I'm going to go check messages of where to meet at. I'm in room 208 at Tropicana 1. And on September 13th, this is, it hasn't gotten weird yet. This is where it starts to get weird. On September 13th, he apologized for hurting Cyrus, and he blamed President Trump. No real explanation why. Uh, he tweeted uh, that he hopes they can talk about everything in Vegas so I can explain it all to you. I am wanting as much one-on-one -on -one time talking with you as possible. I know soon I will be partying, up, partying it up with all the famous people, but you are the only one I really want to talk to. So, uh, speaking of his desires to party it up with the celebrities he was quoted as saying i know after we are together we can simply party it up with tupac biggie prince michael jackson and all those we lost he said so any party you might have planned will be more of a pre-party so that last one is extremely unhinged and extremely weird until you understand what his plan was, which was allegedly to raise Michael Jackson, Prince, and Tupac from the dead so that he could put on a party with Miley. So he's obviously pretty, pretty unhinged. So last up, her most recent stalker, another 52-year-old named Alexander Cardellian, has been sending Miley unsolicited letters since 2018, according to reports. In 2022, uh, she was granted a three-year restraining order, which is a very long duration for a restraining order, if I'm not mistaken. Usually they're a year, the longer ones. But it won't surprise you to know that when he was released from prison in 2022, after only about three days, he showed up at her house with a stuffed animal for her. Well, that's nice. Um, but security detained him, and he was arrested without bond, thankfully, probably for the best. He had tried to get into her house four times before that and was finally arrested. Thankfully, he was never able to get in. And all of these stalkers are obviously just terrifying. Many of these situations end in violence and even murder, as we've heard on many occasions. So if you're experiencing stalking and are in immediate danger, please contact the police. Please call 911 and tell them what is going on. There are resources on the Spark website that we'll share in the show notes, and we'll share resources in the coming days in our social media as well. Stalking is a phenomenon that can start out seeming innocuous, but like the frog in the pot, you may not know it's getting worse until it's too late. So learn the warning signs and remain vigilant. 
Our next episode is another very scary case of stalking. In this case, it's the case of Deja Washington, and we hope you'll join us for that episode when it drops on Tuesday, January 23rd. Until then, stay safe, and remember, what happens here happens everywhere. Thanks for listening. Visit sinspod.co slash subscribe for exclusive bonus content and to listen ad-free. Remember to like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and threads at Sins and Survivors. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can contact us at questions at sinsandsurvivors.com. If you or someone you know is affected by domestic violence or needs support, please reach out to local resources or the National Domestic Violence Hotline. A list of resources is available on our website, sinsandsurvivors.com. Sins and Survivors, a Las Vegas true crime podcast, is researched, written, and produced by your hosts, Sean and John. The information shared in this podcast is accurate at the time of recording. If you have questions, concerns, or corrections, please email us. Links to source material for this episode can be found on our website, sinsandsurvivors.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast creators, hosts, and their guests. All individuals are innocent until proven guilty. This content does not constitute legal advice. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal professionals for guidance.